Welcome, everyone. So happy to have you here uh, with us this morning. Unfortunately, we couldn't have service today, but despite the fact that we couldn't have service today, I still wanted to make sure that you guys got this message out so that we can continue on in our series uh, next week. So today what we're going to talk about is Jesus's baptism. It's an event that made it into all four Gospels. And it's an inspiring and it's an important event because it, it actually begins Jesus's ministry. Just think about this as Jesus's uh, coming out party. It's the grand opening of his ministry, so to speak. And it actually begins the, the timing uh, of what will eventually become Jesus's uh, crucifixion. So we're reading from Mark chapter 1. Verse 9 through verse 15 from the New Living Translation. And here's what it says. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. And as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And he was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So this is a little bit of an unusual story, depending actually on what you think about baptism. Because there really doesn't seem on the outset any reason for Jesus to be baptized. So there's a little bit of a confusion on this. Some people think it's the event that makes you a Christian, the event of being baptized that makes you a Christian. So I'll ask people if they're Christ followers, and they'll say, well, I was baptized when I was seven years old. So being baptized when you're seven is okay, but Scripture doesn't teach us that baptism saves you. It, it kind of reminds me of this story, the story of a drunk who stumbled upon a baptismal service one Sunday afternoon by the river. And it was down south, and, and back in the day, this guy walked right down into the water. He stood right next to the pastor, and the, the pastor turned and noticed the old drunk and said, Mr., are you ready to find Jesus? And the drunk looked back and said, yes, pastor, I sure am. And the pastor dunked the fellow under the water and pulled him right back up. And he asked him, have you found Jesus? No, I haven't, pastor, said the drunk. And the pastor dunked him again for a bit longer, brought him back up and said, now, brother, have you found Jesus? No, I haven't, preacher. And the preacher in disgust held the man under the water for another 30 seconds. And this time he brought him out of the water and he said in a harsh tone, friend, are you sure you haven't found Jesus yet? And the old drunk wiped his eyes and he was gasping for air. And he said to the pastor, no, nah, preacher, are you sure this is where he fell in? See, baptism isn't where you find Jesus. It's what you do once you've found him. But that doesn't answer the question. Why would Jesus seek to be baptized by John? 
And here's something that's important to realize. I, I don't think uh, uh, John just uh, uh, just came up with the idea of baptism on his own. It wasn't as if he was preaching one day and all of a sudden he said, let's go onto the water. I'm going to dunk some of you guys in and it's going to be fun. There's, there's actually a story that goes behind this. And the two key players here are John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, and Jesus. And John's ministry, the whole idea of John's ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah. His message was very simple. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 says that this was his message. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And when people repented, he baptized them. See, the Jewish people were looking for a deliverer to make things right in their country. They were a people whose land was occupied by an oppressive foreign government, and they longed for freedom. But it was more than that. It was a people whose relationship with God had grown cold. And God had chosen Abraham in Genesis to be the patriarch of his people hundreds of years before. And like many relationships, the relationship with Israel began strong, but years of complacency set in. It's like that famous phrase that says, familiarity breeds contempt. Israel started taking God for granted. And God won't tolerate that for long in relationship with us. I read a true story this week about a a businessman, a good-natured businessman who started a conversation with a young man who crowded into the airplane seat next to him. And he said, are you traveling on business or pleasure? And the businessman said, pleasure. The young man replied, I'm on my way to my honeymoon. Your honeymoon, the businessman asked. Where's your wife? Oh, she's a a few rows back. The plane was so full that we couldn't get any seats seated next to each other. And the plane hadn't even gotten going yet. And so the businessman said, I'd be happy to change seats so the two of you can sit down together. That's okay, the young man said. I've been with her all week. In this case, that young man will end up sleeping in the couch at some point pretty soon. But it goes to prove the point, familiarity breeds contempt. God blesses and Israel enjoys. Israel becomes complacent, takes God for granted, turns her back on him, and God gets Israel's attention through tragedy. The Israelites repent, and then relationship is restored again, and then the cycle begins new. See, John comes in one of those down cycles of Israel's relationship with God. They'd been complacent. They'd taken God for granted. They had turned their backs on him, and God had allowed them to experience discomfort in order to be able to get their attention. And here's the truth. God does that with us as well. And because God has always provided a deliverer in the past, people like Moses and David, then the Israelites began to anticipate that something was coming, a deliverer would come. And the people had turned their backs to God in order to experience deliverance. See, this occupation by a foreign conqueror is the method that God was using to get their attention. And John uniquely adapts the common practice of his day of baptism to teach his people about humility, about commitment, and about identification. 
You see, Judaism was very popular during the times when God was blessing the people of Israel. Other nations and other people began to take note. They wanted a piece of the blessing pie, per se. So Gentiles would petition to become Jews. It's, it's just human nature. We kind of want to be on the, on the winning team. It's like when a sports team does really well. It's amazing how many people just start wearing their sports team's gear. See, the Gentiles who wanted to become Jews were called proselytes. And in the simplest sense, that really means that they just wanted to convert. A proselyte was a Gentile, a non-Jew who wanted to become a Jew. And for a Gentile to become a full-fledged Jew, there was a three-step process that needed to be completed. Number one, they needed to go to the temple. They needed to offer a sacrifice. It was costly for them. The next was circumcision, the cutting away of a piece of flesh from a man's body. See, this was normally done at least uh, when a a Jewish boy was eight days old. But an adult male who wanted to become a Jew had to undergo this procedure regardless of age. I would have think that this would have prevented anybody from making a quick decision to turn to Judaism. You see, men didn't impulse buy Judaism. They didn't see a magazine at the checkout lines at Lowe's and say, it's time for your extreme Jewish makeover. Or, hey, that sounds like something I should get right on. I would suspect this element of the process left more than a few men out because the cost was too high. You see, circumcision was unique to the Jewish people. It was their distinguishing, permanent, irreversible identifying mark on their body that designated them as the only people on earth who were in a covenant relationship with God. Finally, the circumcision wound would heal. And the proselyte would take the final step of baptism. The person would strip off all of his clothes, and thank God we don't do that here. And then they would go into the water naked and dip themselves underwater, making sure that their body was fully immersed, being careful that not one bit of their flesh would remain dry. You see, becoming a Jew wasn't a walk in the park. It was something that somebody did because they were really deeply thinking this true. And once this process has been completed, the the proselyte, the convert, was now considered a Jew in every way. They fully renounced their previous lives, their previous nationality, their previous allegiances. They were fully Jewish physically and spiritually. Their identity had completely changed. See, this wasn't just an add-on to their life. You didn't add Jewishness to your old identity. God didn't just become one of many other gods in your life. In a sense, the Gentile died in those waters, and a new person with a new name and a new identity was born when he or she came out of the water. And John adopts this baptism, and he morphs it into a baptism of repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to him. And verse 6 continues on, And they baptized, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. I want you to remember, now these are, are Jews, And so John's task wasn't to get people into Judaism, as we'd explained before. It was to get people to realize their sin, to turn back to God, to turn from self-centeredness into God-centeredness. 
This baptism was a, a moment of humility, commitment, and identification. It was the time a person could look to and say, that's when I did it. I made a commitment. I made it public that day. And we have those sort of ceremonies today. See, graduation is a sort of stepping up into adulthood. A wedding ceremony is a, is a public declaration that your life has changed and, and you're united with someone. It's like the pastor's wife who asked her husband how the wedding that he'd performed had gone. And the pastor said, well, it was going great until I got to the part where I asked the bride if she was willing to obey her husband. And she said, do you think I'm nuts? And the groom said, I do. And it went downhill really fast from there. And that story is kind of a nice lead in as to why Jesus was baptized. See, his baptism was one of humility. And Jesus kind of explains why he gets baptized. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus answered John, allow it for now because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. See, Jesus humbles himself to do what God asks. This is all about obedience to God. Jesus did this because God required it. He lived a life of complete obedience to God. That's why we can say about Jesus and no other person that has ever lived on the face of this earth that he was sinless. I can't say that. You can't say that. Only Jesus can. Obedience to God is all God's ever asked for. And back when Abraham was getting this whole covenant started, he had a converse, God had a conversation with Abraham, and he said, I am God Almighty, Genesis 17, 1 to 2. I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be devout, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Remember I said that the nation of Israel had gotten into a, a trouble when they became complacent, when they began to take God for granted, when they began to turn their backs on him. So what's the description there? If you could take all those things and wrap them up into one word, we would say the word that we'd use is disobedience. Baptism was another in a series of acts of humility and obedience on the part of Jesus. It began with his coming to earth as a helpless infant baby boy. And it ended with his crucifixion. And all throughout and in between his life, Jesus obeyed his father. See, one of the most powerful expressions of this is found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. Jesus, speaking of Jesus, it says, Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have you ever been put in a position to do something and you've thought at least to yourself, that's a, a little bit beneath me? I said it about uh, changing my daughter's uh, diapers when we uh, first had our first daughter 
Unfortunately, my wife didn't think so much that it was uh, beneath me. This was a baptism of commitment. This launched Jesus' ministry that would eventually lead to the cross. He knew where this thing was headed. And for three and a half years, Jesus did his thing and it ended with crucifixion. The inauguration began that process. This baptism began that process. It was a commitment to God's plan. It was a commitment to you. It was a commitment to me. And finally, Jesus Uh, was a baptism of identification. He affirmed John's ministry and identity with the people that he had come to save. I remember uh, taking one of my daughters uh, to the doctor once. She was sick, and the doctor diagnosed that uh, she needed a shot to make her better. And so she says, hey, Daddy, is it going to hurt? And I was thinking to myself, you bet it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt so bad you're going to come out of here in tears. But I said to her, no, baby girl, there's nothing to it. And I asked the doctor to give me the shot to show her that it wouldn't be too bad. I put myself in her shoes to show her the way. Jesus took this step of obedience to show us the way, to identify with those of us who need to repent, who need to turn back. Humility, commitment, and identification, that's what baptism is all about. So what does that mean for you and me? See, I love the Super Bowl, and I I love the Super Bowl. The reason that I love the Super Bowl is because I absolutely love the Dozens of commercials that come up uh, during the Super Bowl. It's estimated that during the Super Bowl, there are about 3,000 commercials that come up in a day. And because we're so saturated in our culture, we've naturally developed a consumeristic mentality. And our attitude becomes, what can this do for me? And we take that attitude even about spiritual things. What can the church do for me? What can Jesus do for me? In Dennis Waitley's book, Empires of the Mind, he reports that although there are approximately 450,000 words in the English language, about 80% of our conversation use only about 400 words. And it probably comes as no surprise that most of the common words in the English language are I, me, my, mine. There's little question that we're living in a me kind of world. But there's so much more to following Jesus. There are incredible benefits to following Jesus. Unreserved acceptance from God. Limitless love. God's unmerited favor. His grace. Forgiveness of all of our sins. And giving us a purpose in life. Those are powerful benefits to following the Lord. It pays to follow Jesus. But following Jesus is more than benefits. It entails responsibility. And that more of Christianity has to do with humility, commitment, and identification. 
See, the converts or the proselytes baptism that we spoke about earlier was about humility, commitment, and identification. Jesus' baptism was about humility, commitment, and identification. And the baptisms that we perform today and that we will do on Easter Sunday are about humility, commitment, and identification. It's humbling to get in the water in front of everybody. It's an act of humble obedience to Jesus. He once said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you until the end of the age. When you're baptized and people see you, the expectation level goes way up. People will expect you to walk the talk. You become identified with Christ. And just like he was baptized to identify with us, We are baptized to identify with him. He was buried and rose again. And guess what? We get buried under the water and we rise again. Do you remember what happened when Jesus came out of that water? Mark chapter 1 verse 10 and verse 11 shares it this way. As Jesus came up out of the water... He saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Humble obedience and commitment to God and identification with God always leads to God's love and his affirmation. Always. This morning, I want to just pray with you guys. I want to pray that you would receive this affirmation, this love, that you would realize there's more to following Jesus than just the benefits that we can obtain. That baptism is a public declaration in obedience to God's word, and I encourage all of those who call Risen King Church their home and who identify with being saved by the saving power of Jesus Christ to undergo that baptism. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much. Thank you that although the weather is acting up outside, Lord, we are, we're here, we're tuning in, we're listening in because you have a word to share with us. A word that will transform our lives, a word that will show us that even you humbled yourself to obedience to the Father, something that we hope to do. And as we do that, we experience the affirmation of a loving God, the arms wide open of a loving Savior. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us make that step for those of us who haven't and for those of us who have taken that step of baptism. Lord, we plead that we would remember those waters where the old self died and the new person was reborn. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week as we continue our series in the book of Mark.